This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me on this episode number 19 of the Parenting ADHD podcast. Today I'm excited to be talking to Debbie Reber. Debbie is a New York Times bestselling author and the founder of Tilt Parenting, a website, top podcast, and social media company for parents who are raising differently wired children. Her next book, Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World, comes out in the spring of 2018. She currently lives with her son and husband in the Netherlands. Thanks for joining me today, Debbie. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, let's start, I think, by defining what you mean when you use the term differently wired. What sorts of um, kids are you talking about? Diagnoses? What, you know, how do you um, see that term and who fits into it? Well, when I talk about kids who are differently wired, first of all, there is no kind of cut and dry criteria for what that means. A lot of us are kind of self-select into this uh, community of parents raising differently wired kids. But when I use that term, I am looking at kids who are in some way developing in a way that is atypical from more typical peers. And I'm talking a neurological development. Right. So a lot of, you know, kids in the TILT community are kids that would fall under that umbrella are kids with differences like ADHD or learning differences like dyslexia and dysgraphia, any sorts of sensory processing issues, speed processing, auditory processing, nonverbal learning disorder. I consider kids who are highly gifted as also being differently wired because they are developing differently from their peers. So it's, and, and kids on the spectrum as well. So kids who most of the, the families that I'm communicating with are families who have kids with Asperger's or some people call it high functioning autism. So differently wired kind of encompasses these kids who, who have more invisible differences. So it's not so obvious that something's going on, which I think makes them or puts them in a particularly tricky spot because they're expected to fit in, but they don't really fit into the box. And so that's who I'm trying to connect with. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, one of our biggest challenges in raising differently wired kids is that it's not, um, overt that they have some sort of disorder or difference that, you know, you see a child in a wheelchair and you automatically know that there's either an injury or a disability there. But with our kids, until you get to know them more, you don't know. And I think people judge um, and create expectations without really having all that information a lot of times. And that can be a real struggle for us. Absolutely. I mean, that that's, it's, it's so challenging. Anxiety is one I forgot to mention too. That mm-hmm. is one of those differences that there's so little just compassion or understanding for. So yeah, these kids really are stuck in a tough spot. 
Yeah, I've started to notice more articles um, on the internet that are talking about, they're using the term high functioning, which I don't care for, but they're using it to describe anxiety, to describe depression and saying, you know, this is what high functioning anxiety looks like to Hmm. say, you know, these folks look like they're functioning on the outside, um, but they're really struggling underneath. And I think, you know, when we say um, invisible disorders, I think that's kind of the same thing. Uh, I don't like the term high functioning because I think it gives people who don't have all the information um, the wrong impression that they mm-hmm. actually function at a high level. <laughs> so it really bothers me. But it's really the best term that we have for describing um you know, kids on the spectrum who are at the top end and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it is one of those terms that can be very divisive. And I recently read a blog post from John Elder Robeson, who's very, mm-hmm. who's a, an Asperger's activist and very opposed to that language. And I totally understand his point. It, it's, it's complicated to know how to, how to talk about who our kids are and the way that they're different. And I think, you're exactly right. There is a lot of misinterpretation of the terminology that we use, which is maybe another reason why I like Differently Wired, because it just kind of says, hey, there's something unique and different about the way this person's brain is developing, but it right. ne- doesn't have necessarily the stigma or you know the negative reactions that some other labels might have. Yeah, absolutely. I love John's book, um, Look Me in the Eye. Mm, yeah. That was a huge aha moment for me. And long before my son even had the additional autism diagnosis. He'd probably only been diagnosed with ADHD for a year or less, but having his perspective from the inside, just with being different in general and thinking differently Mm -hmm. um, was super revealing for me. I highly recommend that book to a lot of folks. Yeah, Um, me too. So I think um, let's start talking about kind of what you do at Tilt Parenting, your mission and vision um, in, in kind of changing the way we parent to accommodate differently wired kids. Yeah, so I have kind of a twofold mission in, in creating Tilt. One is obviously to serve parents like us. So parents Mm -hmm. who are raising differently wired kids. I have a 13-year-old son who also has a diagnosis of ADHD, Asperger's, and he's also highly gifted. So I'm kind of right right in there in the trenches with with the rest of us here. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to create a place for parents like me to most of all feel that they're part of a community and realize that they're not alone because so we, we often just feel completely at a loss about where to, you know, what direction this journey is going to go in, where to find resources. And many parents like us are living kind of secret lives Mm -hmm. and keeping it just between the walls of our homes, which I think does a huge disservice to, to our kids and to our families and to society at large. So that was one of the biggest goals of creating tilt was to really give these parents support so that they can feel more confident in being the parent that they are to their unique, awesome, differently wired child. And they can parent in a way that empowers their child, 
it strengthens their families. It it is more of a strengths based approach to parenting, so their kids feel more secure in who they are, right. and so that the whole family can thrive. So that is kind of my my big picture goal. My my kind of secondary goal is that I really want to be a part of changing the conversation about neurodiversity in general. You know, yeah. I think the reason our kids are so stuck is because there really is no place for them in a traditional educational model. There is no place for them in so much of what's of what our kids or or kids in general are expected to experience in their childhood and these rites of passage. And yeah. that's got to change, you know. Yeah. This is more than 20% of kids today are in some way neurodiverse, and it's not okay for these kids to feel marginalized. And so I really hope to be a part of changing the bigger conversation so that we can see some real change in the way our kids experience their childhood. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really important. And it it also creates a feeling of being very misunderstood for our kids and that, um creates a real emotional struggle. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for kids like ours, is that people really don't understand them. And so they're not creating appropriate expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, especially in our traditional school system, um, here in the US, you know, it is absolutely designed for the opposite of a kid who is differently wired, you know, it's almost like boot camp. It's, it's, you know, it's a culture of, of fitting for kids Mm -hmm. who don't fit. So Mm -hmm. it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, they're set up to, to fail really from, from day one. I mean, and it's, it's unfortunate and you're absolutely right. So many of these kids, because they spend a lot of their, time being emotionally dysregulated, then it comes out as behavioral problems, mm-hmm. you know, and then they just go, then they are the bad kid. You know, I, yeah. I know that was my son identified as the bad kid for years until I pulled him out, uh, after second grade, because I didn't want him to go through his life apologizing for who he was. Yeah. So do you homeschool? I do. We just are now in our fifth year of homeschooling, which is mind blowing to me. I didn't know how I would survive the first month. And And here we are years later. So yeah, that's what we're doing. How about you? Do you homeschool? I do not. No. And I I asked that question because I was going to ask you what the school system was like in the Netherlands. Mm. um, And if it was different, you know, if there was more more acceptance of differently wired kids um, where you're currently living or not, just out of curiosity more than anything. But, you know, it's it's interesting to me how Mm -hmm. different cultures um, treat differences in general. Yeah, I would say that my hunch is it's pretty similar to the U.S. system based on, you know, friends I have here who with differently wired kids who are in the Dutch school system. Mm -hmm. I think in theory, it's an inclusion model. There's definitely the belief that children who are atypical should be mainstreamed and included with with their peers. The reality of the situation is that kids who are differently wired and who have issues or challenges that exhibit in a way that are behaviorally 
tough to cope with for a teacher is these kids get pushed out of school and, you know, they either get sent to a school for, for all the kids who have behavioral problems, which as we know, doesn't work for our kids, many of whom are ridiculously smart. And then they're kind Mm -hmm. of lumped in with these kind of really behaviorally challenged kids. Um, or they just kind of get bounced around from school to school and, you know, the schools will say, we can't accommodate your child. And so what ends up happening is there's a population of kids here who are homeschooling or their kids are really being truant. Their, their kids are being homeschooled or they're just sitting at home because there's no other place for them right now. So it's right. something they are trying to address. In but there's the, a with, gap. Yeah, there is absolutely a gap. And it's, you know, there's a new education minister who was just named. And so I'll be curious to see um, if he's able to make make some changes in that area. But it's yeah, it's a problem. It's I don't think it's any better here than it is in the States. Yeah, right now what we're dealing with, uh, my son just started high school this year, and he's very intelligent. But he's also very low functioning in executive functions. Um, So he's super smart, but he can't show it to you in any way that a school wants you to show it, you know. Right. And if he does, then he can't keep up with it and get it turned in. And um, there's no place for twice exceptional kids in at least our county and our school system. they don't have services. You either have to be um, special ed and inclusion or you have to be gifted, but you can't do both. You can't mm-hmm. have both pieces enriched. Um, and it's really sad, you know, and so we're constantly trying to make different things fit for him um, because that those programs just don't exist in a lot of places. I know there are certainly schools out there that are completely for two e kids. I know there's mm-hmm. one in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, Bridges Academy. Yeah, yeah, and it's super successful. And um, but it's just not everywhere. You know, we all don't have access to that. And so, um, anyway, I just wondered about your school system there and if it was any different. Um, and and you know that just being different in general, how the culture is accepting of it. Yeah, there's a school called the Flex School in New Jersey and Connecticut now, and um, they cater to differently wired students, many of whom are 2E. I follow them on Instagram, and every now and then I send a note. I'm like, when are you opening your Amsterdam branch? (laughs) (laughs) I'll spearhead it. Yeah. You know, yeah, there really are. There's, I think, at last count, I found about a dozen schools that were specifically designated in the U.S. for 2E kids. And, yeah, they're... They're private. Most of them don't accept, you know, or, or give out any sort of scholarships. Right. It's just really, right. it's really tricky. Yeah. Even if you're geographically accessible, you may not be financially accessible. Yeah, or you may exactly. not um, get a space. And yeah, it's, re- it's really sad. And I know, you know, in our kids' educational careers, it's not going to change. Um, we don't have enough time left. And mm-hmm. it. it It's bothersome, you know, it's been um, a real struggle for us for years now. And, um, you know, I have an IEP meeting Thursday to talk about why nobody is implementing even one accommodation in any classroom, you know, after it's just hard 
for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. as much as we can educate society, educate our educational system on differently wired kids, the better our kids experience is going to be. And then the better our experience is going to be because we have to deal with it too. You know, I talk about it's not just our kids who have ADHD or autism or whatever um, diagnosis that they have. It's the whole family. It affects mm-hmm. all of us. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, for parents, especially usually moms, it's a whole lot more work. You know, yeah. I spend hours every week dealing with school and teachers and you know, we don't go to a lot of appointments anymore now that he's older and more stable, but we used to spend hours every week in therapies. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a, at least another part-time job. So it's it's a real stressor. It's a real thing for the whole family and not just our kids. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, moving here, that is, we moved here when Asher had just turned nine and we started homeschooling when we moved here. So it was a lot of transition happening at once, but I don't think I, and I was doing the same thing as you were. I, you know, he had four different appointments each week and then that didn't even take into consideration that after school impromptu meetings and the phone calls and the, can you stop by my office kind of thing that happened constantly. And it's really, uh, he went to therapy the first year we were here, but we've really cut back on a lot of things. And I don't think I realized how burned out I was, how burned out all of us were just with that running around and constantly, just being on edge, like not knowing when the next crisis was going to hit or the next phone call or email would come through that you had to jump and address, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons that I backed off a lot of the therapy, um, first, he was, you know, much more stable, functioning a lot better. Our whole family dynamic had been improved and all of that. But also, it I just felt like our entire lives was all about ADHD and autism. It's all we worked on. It's the only places we went. It's all we talked about, you know, and that wasn't healthy for our family and for my son either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you have to find that balance. There's so many therapies, especially for ADHD out there. But, you know, one of the things that I talk about with parents a lot is that you have to be spending the majority of your days and times on strengths and positive things and you know that difference and struggle has to be only a portion of it Mm -hmm. that's the only way to build their self-esteem and you know and I think I'm sure that's part of um what you're teaching in tilt Mm -hmm. well just to speak about what you just talked about strengths versus deficits. I had a uh, Dr. Gail Saltz on my podcast recently. She wrote the book, the power of different. And she said that the ratio should be 80, 20. So 80% of our time should be spent developing our child's strengths. And then 20% thinking about their deficits and helping Absolutely. them. And, and I loved just, I love had that visual now 80, 20. Okay. That makes sense to me. And of course it's the opposite, you know, what happens in school, I think, it's often, well, they're really struggling here. So we're going to put all our energy there right, instead yeah. of <laughs> letting them really shine and develop. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, it's a hard balance to strike. 
Um, but I think we have to be very mindful in our parenting to be mm-hmm. sure that we're working toward that 80-20 goal for sure. Yeah. Um, and we change what we can change. We do the best we can with schools and their mm-hmm. experience at school, um, but we can only do what we can do. And at some point we have to um, give ourselves as parents a little leeway, I think, and say, mm-hmm. you know, you really are doing your best. You really have done everything you possibly can and and you're making it the best experience that you possibly can. Um or you homeschool or you find a non-traditional school or, you know, mm-hmm. you make other choices. But um, it's definitely something that we do kind of have to shift and definitely spend a lot more time on strengths and just on having a positive attitude, you know, not worrying about the things that are going wrong at school. You know, our yep. kids are already spending hours every day on that stuff. So I try really hard not to um, drill on it at home as mm-hmm. much as we can. Um, of course, I found out this morning that he has a 23 in math right now. So we're we're going we to be drilling on it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Those seven zeros are going to have to be addressed. <sighs> but he's That's the sweetest kid in the world. <laughs> and he's so super smart. And I know that, you know, eventually when we're not trying to put a square peg in a round hole, you know, when he gets to college or career, whatever he decides to do, he gets to choose what he's interested in, what he wants mm-hmm. to do instead of being forced into things that are hard and not of interest. So yeah, I keep my eye on that. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I just uh, interviewed Seth Perler, who is an executive functioning coach. And he that was kind of my biggest takeaways from our from takeaway from our conversation was he said that it's so important that we zoom out and take a look at the big picture with these kids, because it is so easy to get caught up in this score or, you know, this mm-hmm. class, this one little class. And that's really not what it's about, right? It's exactly what you said. We want to give our kids what they need so that they can pursue their passions and be successful doing that when they're adults. Like we're raising adults. We're not raising right. perfect students. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Our eye has to be on their adult life and making sure that we equip them to live a successful and happy life with their different brain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you have some, um, I guess, rules or paradigms for tilt parenting? Um, How do you suggest that parents tilt? What what does that encompass? Really, when I... When I say that I want parents to tilt, it really is about shifting their own experience, their own thoughts, their own actions, because obviously the system here is flawed and there are Mm -hmm. a lot of challenges, you know, systemic challenges that our kids and our families are up against. But I very much believe that we as parents of atypical kids are in the best possible position to change things. I mean, we're living this and I, I believe it does have to start with us. So 
a lot of the shifts or the tilts that I talk about, and I talk about this, I have a seven day challenge where I suggest little tweaks every day parents can do. And then my book talks a lot about these shifts. They are really little kind of mind shift tweaks that we're making. So, you know, it's being intentional about your parenting. Mm -hmm. It's really examining the beliefs that you have yourself about neurodiversity, or maybe you're someone like I was who used to be really hung up on what other people thought of me as a parent. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that is, that's a huge thing to grapple with. I, yeah, I know, I know that many, many of us do, but that alone can really hold us back. It can cause us to throw our kid under the bus to save face. It can mm-hmm. cause us to make really bad choices in public because we're concerned about what other people will think. I mean, and our kids lose every time we do one of these things. Right. And our focus so, is on those other people yeah. instead of on our child where it needs to be it, in exactly. that moment. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, I mean, that's an example of one of the tilts is that we need to let go of what other people think. And you know, that's easier said than done. Right. So it's mm-hmm. a matter of like, conditioning. like most, yeah, it is. It's conditioning. It's mm-hmm. recognizing that I'm doing this. It's noticing it when it happens and then starting to be more conscious of it and intentional moving forward. So that's another example. Um, I'm really also a big advocate of speaking up and using your voice. I, I don't think that stigma for our kids and for neurodiverse people can truly go away until we stop acting like it's a shameful secret. Yes. And, you know, as much as I can, I encourage parents to speak their truth and to be open about what's going on. And I know it's such a personal decision. So I I am not going to say that everyone should, you know, be transparent about their child's neuro differences. It is a personal choice. But when we, you know, I believe that when we parent from a place of fear, that once again, our kids lose in that scenario. And the only way that the stigma is going to go away and not be something that holds our kids and our families back is when we just start talking about it. We need to, it's not a sickness. It's not a, it's not a dirty secret. It's who our children are and they're amazing. They are amazing beings. And yeah, we, we all have weaknesses. Every one of us. I'm mostly neurotypical. I have anxiety, but you know, I don't have ADHD. I'm not on the spectrum. But I certainly have my own set of weaknesses. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you know, I I think our kids that we're talking about the diagnoses that we're talking about, it's um, more apparent how their weaknesses are, are more intrusive in a lot of their childhood because of the amount of school they do and, you know, because of um, how those differences affect different things. But um, we all have strengths and weaknesses. And that's what I talk about with parents a lot, because that it, it makes our kids less different. You know, if you look at it from that kind of umbrella general perspective, 
we all have things we're good at. We all have things that we're not good at. And, and, you know, I certainly have learned over time to kind of honor my own anxiety, push myself a little bit, challenge myself a little bit, but I don't go full board against it because I know that that doesn't do me any good. It doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same can be said for families with ADHD or autism. You know, when you're holding back on that, you're teaching um, not just your child, but the public around you that it's somehow something shameful. Mm-hmm. Um but you're also just not in the proper mindset anymore when you're constantly guarded like that. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, we serve our kids so much better by just being open and honest about it and in a positive way. You know, you don't go to the, the open house at school and tell the teacher that your kid's just going to be a troublemaker all year, get prepared, you know, I mean, that there's a right way and a wrong way to be open about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it just, I I found it really freeing. Um, And you and I are much more open and out there about it than most parents would be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we're not advising the listeners to start shouting to the world about their kids differences (laughs) we're just saying that you know and there are people in your child's life who need to know you know Mm -hmm. the school their sporting coach their um swim teacher whoever it might be you know there are reasons that those people really need to know that um and i think it's just so important it it makes me sad for families when I know mm-hmm. that they're hiding that sort yeah. of thing from everyone, um, even, you know, their extended family. It's just, it, it creates so much stress and anxiety mm-hmm. um, in that sort of dynamic. And you're just always on edge and it affects our kids. Well, and it also, I think, oftentimes prevents the parents from getting support for themselves. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're getting help for their kids, but they may not realize that they need to connect and, and find their tribe and find other parents like them or find a parent coach who can help them. And yeah, so it keeps, keeps us isolated. And then, you know, you talked about our, our kids being aware. I think it's so important that our kids grow up knowing that they're not broken. And yes, if, if, they, you know, suspect there's something wrong, but they don't know and no one's talking about it. They are going to internalize that as this must be something really bad. No one's talking to me about it. Or, you know, yeah. they only talk about it behind closed doors or they lower their voice when, you know, they're having a conversation. So what is really wrong with me? Whereas if we talk to our kids, just as you said, we all have things we're working on. We're all unique in our own way. We all have our our strengths and our deficits. And, you know, if they can grow up feeling secure in who they are and kind of recognizing all the cool superpowers that come along with having ADHD or being autistic, then it just sets, it just shifts everything for them. And, uh, that's what I've seen in my own child. And he's perhaps one of the most confident 13 year olds you'll meet. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it um it really 
holds our kids back. It, it makes them feel like they can't be themselves. And and as parents, if we sit back and think about it, that's exactly what we want. We want our kids to be their authentic selves. Um, I don't think that they can have a truly successful and joyful life if they're not themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so by doing that, we're really setting them up for a lot of pain um, for a long time. And um, in my last book, The Insider's Guide to ADHD, you know, I talked to a lot of adults who grew up with ADHD and um one of the very common threads was that they were parented with fear, you know, f- making them afraid to do anything wrong, making them mm. afraid to screw up at school, um, because that's kind of the traditional parenting dynamic that we grow up with in this country. We're kind of raised to a very crime and punishment sort of parenting, you know, that's just normal (laughs) parenting, Mm -hmm. really. And so, and that's how I really envisioned um, when you said tilt parenting, was that we're kind of throwing out that rule book, because it doesn't Mm -hmm. work for our kids, but it really doesn't work for any kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, we're rewriting it in a way that's more compassionate and intentional and, and honors who our kids really are. Um, and I, you know, when I was writing that book, I found studies that show that parenting with shame or fear um, will lead to other uh, mental health issues in adulthood for a lot of people, depression, mm. anxiety, um, even increases suicide rate. You know, it's it's a big deal. Um, the way it doesn't that doesn't surprise me. No, I mean, no. When you think about it, things, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, just listening to you share that, it also just made me think just in one more way, how this is such a gift to have an atypical child, because as you said, it forces us to really throw everything out the window, right? Because we learned pretty early on that this isn't going to look the way we thought it was going to look, or, Mm -hmm. you know, we might read this parenting book and it's not working the way it works with our friends' kids, you know, so yeah. we are having to forge our own path. And in that way, it is a gift because I think when you have a neurotypical child, you just do kind of plug along, you know, you, you might have that more authoritarian parenting, uh, approach because that's, but the way you were raised and it's good mm-hmm. enough for my kid, but, and, and it's quote unquote working, but it's interesting to think about, the damage that it might be doing. Exactly. It might be working, but it's not effective. Right. Um, overall, you know, mm. um, that's why I love Ross Green so much. And I was so happy when he um, released Raising Human Beings, because I felt like the title of The Explosive Child was very misleading. I think a a lot of people who get get great benefit from that material weren't reading the book. Um, And I didn't, you know, my son's not explosive. He probably had an ADHD and LD diagnosis. Um, for two or three years before I read that book, and it was life changing. And it really is, um, in my opinion, and obviously in his opinion, the best way to parent all kids, mm-hmm. you know, a collaborative approach where we honor who they are, and we respect that they're human beings mm-hmm. is 
going to be the most effective now, but also, you know, leads to them having, I think, the best adulthood and the best life, the best outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, his work has changed our lives profoundly. The other uh, author that I read uh, Alfie Cohn's book, Unconditional Parenting. Are you familiar with that book? I am not. Oh, it's a good one. Add it to your to your list. Yeah. What he talks very much about also this respect based parenting model and that so much of the things that we're disciplining or correcting our kids about our thing, we're doing it mindlessly. Like we're not considering the why, the why behind we're doing it. Like, is it really so important that he doesn't play with his fork at the dinner table? Who really cares? You know, exactly. But we get kind of hung up on these things and then we, again, we use this authoritarian trickle down, we're in charge, it's our job to, you know, make sure you do this, this and this the right way. But really, is that really the goal? You know, do we need a compliant, uh, polite, you know, child, or we want someone who feels emboldened to pursue their creativity and question things? That's I'm more interested in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think, you know, in our traditional system, we are not creating problem solvers. We are just creating kids who will do what it takes to fit, um, which then become adults who just are kind of on that same um, escalator in life, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm, we are in sync 100%. (laughs) Well, I think, sorry to interrupt you. No, go ahead. I think even again, to what you just, what you just said, that is further evidence that, you know, these differently wired kids, because they already don't fit in the box that, and we can't make them, if we can find a way to help them feel secure and confident in who they are, they are already thinking in such a different way, they're critical thinkers, they're questioning things, they're problem solving, mm-hmm. because there's they just look at the world so differently, they experience everything so differently. So it's such a huge opportunity, if we can figure out how to kind of become fluent in our kids language and help them develop into the best version of themselves. Yeah, and I think to some of their experiences, where they don't fit, um, encourages them to problem solve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that they're learning that that's one of the kind of gifts of having a differently wired brain is that you do start thinking outside of the box very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be frowned upon. It may be frowned upon <laughs> in your family. It might be frowned upon at school. Yeah. But, you know, it really is a good thing. We really should um, encourage our kids to be themselves. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it really all boils down to that, just to really be their true selves. Um yeah. And a lot of what I teach parents is that we have to drill down and figure out exactly what our parent, our child's um, personal truth is. What is their unique truth? What's true to them today in this moment? And then that's your guide for parenting. Your guide mm-hmm. isn't, you know, how you were raised or what the neurotypical expectation is at school or what have you. It's where, you know, what is my child's truth? And how can I honor and respect it and help them move forward through it? I love that. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's true for all of us. The same Mm -hmm. thing with moms. You know, we have a retreat every year called the Happy Mama Retreat. And it's just for moms of kids with neurobehavioral and neurodevelopmental disorders because we get each other. We, we understand what it's like to raise a child who has invisible disorders. Um, you know, that stress, that judgment from others, the, the extra layer of difficulty. Um, and we allow ourselves to be completely ourselves. And we talk a lot, you know, speakers come in and talk about um, accepting that your parenthood isn't what you expected, and how to care for yourself, how to be true to yourself, and not get lost in that. Because I think a lot of families do, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier with how many hours of the week we spend with communicating with schools and going to therapies and all of these things, it's very easy already as a neurotypical parent to lose yourself, especially Mm -hmm. moms, I think. But when you add in those challenges and that whole extra layer for your parenting, I think, you know, you lose yourself even more oftentimes. It's real easy to fall into that trap. And so, you know, we have to also think about our own truth and, and how we can honor ourselves as well, you know, who we are outside of being a parent, um, outside of having these extra challenges. And, you know, being able to do that with ourselves only helps us to do the same with our kids too. Absolutely. I love that you're doing that work. I mean, that's something that I think we need so much more of because so many, you know, we're so involved in in getting help for our kids that we forget, you know, that we need to be taking care of ourselves. I'm a huge fan of self-care. I'm a practice it regularly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a vigilant self-care person, but it took me, you know, I think Asher was probably four or something and I was really not in a good space. And till finally a friend of mine just said, you know, I think like you need to get help for yourself. And I was like, what really? Huh? Like who, how do I do yeah. that? You know, I'm so, how, how can I do that? I'm so focused on, on getting help for Asher, but that was the best thing she ever told me to do. And I listened to her and it really changed everything for me. Yeah. And we're conditioned as moms to put our kids first. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of cultural shame in taking care of yourself and doing things for yourself. And, um, you know, it's hard to overcome that. And, you know, and, and when we talk about self-care um, at Happy Mama, we're talking about, you know, even stealing five minutes to yourself. Um, you know, my first self-care was staying in the bathroom a little bit longer, you know, just to <laughs> breathe for a few minutes. Right. Yeah. And then, you, you know, a lot of people, I think, think of self-care as going to the spa, getting a massage, mm-hmm. you know, expensive mm-hmm. luxury things. And it's not. It's really just um, as simple as making time to read a book, taking a walk around the block by yourself, you know, mm-hmm. whatever works for you, making sure you have time to work on a hobby, um, you have time listening to, be to Justin Timberlake, which is what I'm doing yes. right now. Like for five minutes, I dance, dance party with the headphones on and I look yes. like a complete idiot. And I'm good with that because <laughs> 
it's five minutes that make me very happy. It's awesome. I know a family um, through Facebook, through ADHD, um, they do a dance party every morning before school, she and her two boys. Um, and that's awesome. I've been trying to get uh, my son to do it for a long time. And I cannot, he's, I don't dance in front of people. <laughs> I'm like, I don't either. It's just you and me. Come on. That's but funny. yeah, music, uh, music for me is huge. Um, you know, when I'm alone in the car, the music is all the way up and I am yeah. moving in the chair and I, that's my release. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's where I feel like I can be totally myself and get immersed in something else um, for a while. So, yeah, there's so many ways, (laughs) so many ways to take care of mom, too. And it's super, super important. Um, It's important for our kids. You know, we also talk about the fact that that models what we want our kids to do as adults. You know, I wouldn't want my daughter to put herself last and not take care of herself and, you know, never get a haircut or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I want her to know that she's important, she's valuable, and, you know, taking time for herself or, you know, getting dolled up just to go to Target because you never get to leave the house (laughs) is, you know, what makes you happy and those are things that are important too and you know so much of what our kids learn from us is what they see us do and what they hear us say Mm, and absolutely you know you want to model for them that they are important and they should take care of themselves as well um so a whole lot comes out of that i think out of Mm -hmm. self-care as parents definitely So we're about out of time. Was there anything else that you wanted to um, mention? I'm definitely going to have a link to all of the books and um, the coach that we talked about in the show notes, as well as a link to your upcoming book, Differently Wired. Um, Anything else that you want to talk about today or share with the audience? Uh, No, I would just invite people if they want to try out the seven day challenge. It's just super simple, free little thing. I send a little video every day for seven days and it's each day is intended to give you a little tweak to your parenting experience. Mm -hmm. Like one of them is just to look for the bright spots. And it's amazing how just intentionally looking for a bright spot each day can shift the way that you're feeling about what's happening in your family. So yeah, I would invite people to do that. I've gotten some great feedback from parents that it's really made a immediate difference and it'd be a way to kind of check out how I approach all of this. Yeah. Awesome. I need to sign up for it too. (laughs) I can do it too. Uh, Yeah. And I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well on your website. Um, I certainly appreciate talking to you today and having you on the podcast. I'm glad that we connected. I know that we um, have the same perspective, a very similar perspective on a lot of um, the special parenthood. So it was really fun to um, hear your ideas and what you're working on. And um, if there's any way that I can certainly help with um, getting the word out there about neurodiversity and changing that conversation. Please loop me in. I would love to be a part of that as well. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, this, you know, I when I connected with you, I knew that you were, you know, one of my people. So I'm really <laughs> happy that we were able to have this conversation and 
Yeah, it's just, it's so important for, you know, maybe you feel this way too, but for the work that I do, just to, when I connect with other people who are just as passionate in shifting this paradigm, it's really inspiring to me. So thank you for the work that you do and for including me in, in your work and podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love talking with others who do what we do and are out there sharing their stories because it is very inspirational. It, it certainly helps to keep me going on some of the tougher days. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I just take a day off, you know, sometimes I've had enough of um, disabilities and diagnoses and talk about school and parenting. And I just say, okay, today is my day off. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we're parents too. We have to yeah. also live the same advice that we put out there for others. So, mm-hmm. you know, take a day off from it. Pretend it doesn't exist for one day when, when things are going well, not when your child's exploding on the floor. <laughs> right. But, you know, on a day when that will work, be sure. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, well, <laughs> to end on that note. <laughs> yes. That it was note. great having you, and hopefully um, we'll do it again in the future. Thank you so much, Penny. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website, parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.